listening to The Renegade Economist, investigating monopoly profits, great corruption, and the policy solutions demanded. Geeky but essential, the tools to the fairest and most efficient economic system await. With your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And a big welcome, my fellow travellers, to the seventh Renegade Economist George's pod course. Yes, trying to delve deeper into the powers of monopoly so that we can rebadge economics as an interpretation of reality. That's what I always found so appealing about economics is that it helped make sense of the world. It helped you read between the lines to really figure out what's going on in society. Unfortunately, mathematical formulas have taken over based on faulty assumptions that really don't relate to the real world. And from that, our radar is is left floundering. A lot of people just can't make sense of the world. And for me, if you want to make your place in civilization, you need to be able to understand these rules of economic engagement. So over the last couple of episodes, we've been looking at uh, natural monopolies, uh, looking at resource rents and, uh, you know, sort of a common theme amongst uh, uh, Georgist analysis is that uh, uh, the powerful can curb supply to push prices higher than uh, what would happen under a competitive marketplace. And when you get less supply at a higher price, that delivers an economic loss, a deadweight cost. But what about those other forms of monopoly, those created and protected in the form of intellectual property rights? Yes, I'm talking about patents, copyrights and those other things. There's always something extra, isn't there? Another layer of protection for uh, the world to be. Well, along the way in this episode, we're going to hear how the rights of the powerful, those enjoying monopoly rights, are protected by the state with legal privilege. And once we understand that, how can we fight back to reclaim some of uh, our common rights to the English language, the information that uh, we should be able to use uh, at will to make the world a better place? How do we find a balance between the innovators and the general public so that uh, uh, society can improve without those uh, profiting off it? unfairly. We live in a world now where yoga poses have been copyrighted, dance moves, same, uh, even the colour purple, Cadbury has uh, has enacted some form of protection to ensure others can't use it. Is this really common sense? Well, yeah, it's always been a battle between uh, the, the rights of the public and the rights of the producers and how long those rights are protected for. But, uh, yeah, it's always been a battle. Apparently back in the 60s, uh, publishers were worried about uh, people copying lyrics from uh, uh, sheet music and cutting into the sales of those sort of products. And the 70s... Uh, there were concert bootleggers and recorded shows on reel to reel. In the 80s, we were onto cassette tapes. Uh, was that going to kill music? In the 90s, we saw CD burners. Uh, yeah, turn of the millennium, Napster arrived and uh, 
digital piracy erupted. Uh, many thought that would be the end of uh, the, the music recording industry. Um, but lo and behold, here we are in this streaming world. And despite Roger Waters from Pink Floyd receiving barely $5,000 for something like 15 million streams of his play on uh, uh, the outrageous Spotify. Uh, yeah, it's not so good for big bands, but for independent musicians, there is a way now to distribute and get your music out to the wider public. And we've even seen that uh, uh, the music industry, the billboard charts has changed to allow DIY artists uh, with a, a big uh, social media following to um, rise up the charts. So uh, over time, uh, creativity does survive and perhaps some of these copying efforts help to uh, improve the culture, to broaden the culture and from that uh, subgenre growing into a bigger type movement. Uh, it's really a battle of the ages. But, but yeah, looking through this whole copyright battlefield, uh, I was surprised to learn that Madonna was uh, busted repeatedly for uh, ripping off other people's songs and her Justify My Love song uh, ripped off the beat from Public Enemy, Security of the First World. And apparently there was some uh, a, a poet called Ingrid Chavez who was in on that as well, thanks to list, listverse.com. Uh, they revealed just how many of uh, Madonna's songs were, uh, were rip-offs. So yeah, Madonna delved into uh, the world of sampling and uh, even the Beach Boys... The Beach Boys themselves, uh, Surfing USA, that was ripped off Chuck Berry. So uh, uh, there are some blatant rip-offs and then there are those that sort of seem to happen through the ether uh, where perhaps someone's heard heard a little jingle and years later uh, it, it comes out uh, in a live recording uh, uh, subconsciously and that is what has happened to... Uh, Colin Hay and Men at Work with their song Down Under being uh, quite a high profile legal case over the last decade or so where the flute riff from that song was deemed to have been borrowed or largely influenced by uh, another Aussie classic uh, Kookaburra Sits in the Old Gum Tree. Marion Sinclair, who, uh, who who produced the Kookaburra Sits in the Old Gum Tree song more than 75 years ago for a Girl Guides competition, her estate sold the copyright to uh, a group called Larrikin Music, which in turn was owned by the massive multinational company Music Sales Group out of London. And of course, they had uh, a financial interest to try and take some of the royalties that uh, Men at Work's uh, global number one hit took in. And uh, for, for that little flute sample, they went for 60% of royalties. Uh, it seems like uh, they only uh, received a $100,000 award, but uh, it cost uh, both sides about $5 million in legal fees. So nobody really won in that case. And it gets you thinking, uh, the English language... Uh, you know, the periodic table, um, musical notations, all of these things, uh, even the internet itself. If the internet had have been patented up 
by the US Department of Defense, would have we seen all of the incredible innovation that has taken place over the last 30 odd years? There's no chance that would have happened. So somehow, some way, we need to find a balance between the rights of the individual over that of the community. Even the Australian fashion industry is not immune to the sort of copycat designing uh, that goes on and apparently our protections for producers in this space really aren't good enough. So, uh, yeah, sometimes I wonder whether there needs to be some sort of uh, economic futurist type department within governments to look at what's happening on the frontiers of change. What, what is technology allowing uh, the front runners to uh, scoop up because on all sides of the equation it's costing individuals and we need to get better about uh, future-proofing our economy. Good old wiki, a patent as a form of intellectual property that gives its owner the legal right to exclude others from making, using, selling and importing an invention for a limited period of years in exchange for publishing and enabling public disclosure of the invention. And it's that limited period of years that has been so controversial. Let's have a listen to uh, the history of Mickey Mouse and how uh, this has been extended time and time again, thanks to the incredible film called Everything is a Remix. Intellectual property. This was a meme that would multiply wildly, thanks in part to a quirk of human psychology known as loss aversion. Simply put, we hate losing what we've got. People tend to place a much higher value on losses than on gains. So the gains we get from copying the work of others don't make a big impression. But when it's our ideas being copied, we perceive this as a loss and we get territorial. For instance, Disney made extensive use of the public domain. Stories like Snow White, Pinocchio, and Alice in Wonderland were all taken from the public domain. But when it came time for the copyright of Disney's early films to expire, they lobbied to have the term of copyright extended. Artist Shepard Ferry has frequently used existing art in his work. This practice came to a head when he was sued by the Associated Press for basing his famous Obama Hope poster on their photo. Nonetheless, when it was his imagery used in a piece by Baxter Orr, Ferry threatened to sue. And lastly, Steve Jobs was sometimes boastful about Apple's history of copying. We have, you know, always been shameless about stealing great ideas. But he harbored deep grudges against those who dared to copy Apple. I'm going to destroy Android because it's a stolen product. I'm willing to go thermonuclear war on this. When we copy, we justify it. When others copy, we vilify it. Most of us have no problem with copying as long as we're the ones doing it. So with a blind eye toward our own mimicry and propelled by faith in markets and ownership, intellectual property swelled beyond its original scope with broader interpretations of existing laws, new legislation, new realms of coverage, and alluring rewards. Let's come back to Mickey Mouse a little bit later. But in the meantime, patents were meant to protect an invention for 20 years after its creation. And in order to be patentable, it must be novel and involve an inventive step. 
And that second part is to ensure that only sufficiently important steps forward are granted a patent rather than what's known as evergreening, where small changes are made to an invention uh, to keep it uh, patented for another 20 years and then another small change and another patent and so forth. Now, does even 20 years make sense in a world where so many patents are being produced in an age of technology? Are these patents produced in a productive sense or is there's something deeper at play. This is where this term patent thickets comes from. This is a concept uh, to keep an eye on if you are interested in uh, the pains of monopoly. And back in 2001, a Carl Shapiro described uh, patent thickets as a dense web of overlapping intellectual property rights that a company must hack its way through in order to actually commercialize new technology. So yeah, a lot of companies develop patents that surround their core business product and uh, use those as barriers to entry so that uh, one of the classic examples is uh, Apple's Swipe to Unlock patent, which covers putting your finger on the lock screen and moving your finger in a horizontal direction. Now, uh, that led to uh, a big legal case against HTC, which uh, put a circle on the lock screen that you pull in any direction to unlock your phone. So uh, it led to uh, another lawyer's picnic. So, uh, yeah, these patent thickets really get me going because uh, some of these companies are actually, they're non-commercial entities. These non-commercial entities are often called patent trolls whose only incentive is to make as much money as possible from the patent right itself. And plenty of examples around of them threatening productive companies with possible legal cases shutting down their factory if uh, they don't pay a licensing fee on some remotely related patent to the product they're producing obviously threatening that uh, uh, this this new producer is borrowing upon one of their patents. So these non-practicing entities acting as patent trolls, blocking innovation, should there be some sort of uh, a deterrent in place to uh, penalise those engaging in such parasitical efforts? Well, of course I think that. And uh, in over past years, I've tried to find uh, accurate valuations of patents, and it's something that is very, very tricky. I noticed on a Reddit thread, someone said, uh, well, perhaps uh, these patenting companies should value their own patent holdings. And of course, if they undervalue them, the government would have the right to buy them uh, as uh, right of first uh, reply. Uh, But the aim of getting accurate market valuations for these patents would then be to charge some sort of a patent holding fee for uh, these patent trolls to deter such behaviour so innovation can occur. Those sort of revenues could go towards maintaining the court system, which of course, uh, without contract law, Uh, defending company rights on some level or another. Uh, The the whole 
capitalist edifice uh, starts to fall apart rather quickly. So there's plenty of uh, uh, background motivation there for uh, a government who respects uh, uh, the liberty of entrepreneurs to be able to to invent with confidence, but also there to be a balance against uh, these parasites who are coming in and curtailing those efforts. And of course, when we're talking patents, the locking up of our bodies, uh, the DNA sequences and so forth uh, is a huge issue. And it's been great to see that since 2015, uh, uh, the Australian uh, High Court in the third ruling on uh, myriad genetics patent for uh, BRCA1 mutations associated with uh, breast cancer, ovarian cancer and the like, that was knocked on the head, thankfully, because in America it was allowed for a number of years, but uh, even over there they've cracked down on it. And, um, yeah, the, the DNA structure there was important and uh, the majority of judges ruled that the key part of a gene is not its physical structure but rather the information stored in it which is not an invention they wrote its substance is information embodied in arrangements of nucleotides the information is not made by human action it is discerned so again we see this theory of the commons of uh, you know what was provided as a gift of nature and uh, yeah monopoly interests trying to wedge in on that to erect barriers so that they can uh, claim these rents themselves now of course uh, we have to uh, stand firm against this and uh, having a, a good court system that recognizes uh, such fundamental principles is uh, a real backbone of the market system. But perhaps we could reinforce that with some sort of patent holding charge against these patent trolls. Copy, transform, and combine. And culture evolves in a similar way, but the elements aren't genes, they're memes, ideas, behaviors, skills. Memes are copied, transformed, and combined. And the dominant ideas of our time are the memes that spread the most. This is social evolution. Copy, transform, and combine. It's who we are, it's how we live, and of course, it's how we create. Our new ideas evolve from the old ones. But our system of law doesn't acknowledge the derivative nature of creativity. Instead, ideas are regarded as property, as unique and original lots with distinct boundaries. But ideas aren't so tidy. They're layered, they're interwoven, they're tangled. And when the system conflicts with the reality, the system starts to fail. second tier of protection in the intellectual property realm is copyright. Copyright is the exclusive right given to the creator of a creative work to reproduce the work, usually for a limited time. The creative work may be in a literary, artistic or musical form. Copyright is intended to protect the original expression of an idea in the form of a creative work, but not the idea itself. 
And of course, this uh, copyrights are uh, subject to public interest considerations such as the fair use doctrine in America. So yeah, that's the sort of protection that uh, uh, Mickey Mouse uh, rights holders utilize. It's also the protection of so many um, artists. Now, guess who wrote this? The copyright is not a right to the exclusive use of a fact, an idea, or a combination, which by the natural law of property all are free to use, but only to the labour expended in the thing itself. It does not prevent anyone from using for himself the facts, the knowledge, the laws, or combinations for a similar production, but only from using the identical form of the particular book or other production the actual labour which has, in short, been expended in producing it. It rests, therefore, upon the natural moral right of each one to enjoy the product of his own exertion and involves no interference with the similar right of anyone else to do likewise. The patent, on the other hand, prohibits anyone from doing a similar thing and involves, usually for a specified time, an interference with the equal liberty on which the right of ownership rests. The copyright is therefore in accordance with the moral law. It gives to the man who has expended the intangible labour required to write a particular book or paint a picture security against the copyright of that identical thing. The patent is in defiance of this natural right. That, of course, was Henry George. God, I always quote him, don't I? We see again those common themes throughout Georgism of personal incentive balance with community responsibility. There needs to be a sense of fair play when it comes to copyright, whereas with patents, a barrier to entry is erected around that concept and we ask whether the reward for labour there should be so strongly entrenched should it last for 30, 40 years? Particularly in an era of patent thickening. Well, uh, that's, that's got a real nice, uh... You guys gotta do something. So whilst we have copyright, we also have the copy left movement, which is the open source revolution, which has swept the world over the last 15, 20 years, thanks to people like uh, Lawrence Lessig, uh, where artists can decide that they will allow this artwork to be copied as long as there is some sort of attribution to it. Websites such as creativecommons.org have a whole pile of different licenses that allow you to share your work where you define how users uh, remix what you've created and uh, what they do with it. So uh, quite revolutionary. The fact that you can go to a website such as unsplash.com and download incredible photos from around the world and all you have to do is uh, embed a embed a badge linking back to that photographer if you choose to you can also ignore that but uh that's uh, the best practices that's uh, good manners uh, on the internet so uh 
Yeah, that's a good little development in terms of fightback, recognising that not everything needs to be corporatised and sold for the highest profit. It actually makes the world a better place when we can all share a little bit of our skill. Now, of course, the third area of intellectual property rights are trademarks. Now, these are... uh, Uh, slapped on recognisable signs, designs or expressions which identify products or services of a particular source from those of others, i.e. the Coca-Cola logo. Hopefully I'm not sued for saying that. Uh, So yeah, that is something that uh, has been used in a protective form uh, surrounding the Mickey Mouse icon, which in 2024... The first cartoons uh, are heading into the public domain, supposedly. Uh, Walt Disney has repeatedly tried to extend uh, copyrights on the Mickey Mouse icon. Um, But he first appeared as Steamboat Willie. Nobody starts out original. We need copying to build a foundation of knowledge and understanding. And after that, things can get interesting. we've grounded ourselves in the fundamentals through copying, it's then possible to create something new through transformation, taking an idea and creating variations. This is time-consuming tinkering, but it can eventually produce a breakthrough. James Watt created a major improvement to the steam engine because he was assigned to repair a Thomas Newcomen steam engine. He then spent 12 years developing his version. Christopher Latham Scholes modeled his typewriter keyboard on a piano. This design slowly evolved over five years into the QWERTY layout we still use today. And Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb. His first patent was improvement in electric lamps, but he did produce the first commercially viable one after trying 6,000 different materials for the filament. These are all major advances, but they're not original ideas so much as tipping points in a continuous line of invention by many different people. But the most dramatic results can happen when ideas are combined. By connecting ideas together, creative leaps can be made, producing some of history's biggest breakthroughs. Johann Gutenberg's printing press was invented around 1440, but almost all its components had been around for centuries. Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company didn't invent the assembly line, interchangeable parts, or even the automobile itself. But they combined all these elements in 1908 to produce the first mass-market car, the Model T. And the internet slowly grew over several decades as networks and protocols merged. It finally hit critical mass in 1991 when Tim Berners-Lee added the World Wide Web. These are the basic elements of creativity. Copy, transform, and combine. And the perfect illustration of all these at work is the story of the devices we're using right now. So let's travel back to the dawn of the personal computer revolution and look at the company that started it all. Xerox. Xerox invented the modern personal computer in the early 70s. The Alto was a mouse-driven system with a graphical user interface. Bear in mind that a popular personal computer of this era was operated with switches, and if you flipped them in the right order, you got to see blinking lights. The Alto was way ahead of its time. Eventually, Apple got a load of the Alto and later released not one, but two computers with graphical interfaces, the Lisa and its more successful follow-up, the Macintosh. 
The Alto was never a commercial product, but Xerox did release a system based on it in 1981, the Star 8010. Two years before the Lisa, three years before the Mac. It was the Star and the Alto that served as the foundation for the Macintosh. The Xerox Star used a desktop metaphor with icons for documents and folders. It had a pointer, scroll bars, and pop-up menus. These were huge innovations and the Mac copied every one of them. But it was the first combination it incorporated that set the Mac on a path towards long-term success. Apple aimed to merge the computer with the household appliance. The Mac was to be a simple device, like a TV or a stereo. This was unlike the Star, which was intended for professional use and vastly different from the cumbersome command-based systems that dominated the era. The Mac was for the home, and this produced a cascade of transformations. So we're sitting on our hands watching what's going to happen with this 2024 date. Uh, Winnie the Pooh's also uh, up for uh, commenting. So uh, these are multi-million dollar type uh, icons that um, have been copyrighted but also trademarked. So these trademarks uh, have been applied to animated TV shows, to cartoon strips, comic books, theme parks, computer games, you name it, probably something on uh, merchandise as well. There's a world of protection there. I suppose people can draw other characters, and thankfully we have Japanese manga films coming up with all sorts of uh, iconic designs there. Uh, But, yeah, when property rights have been attained in controversial-type manners, perhaps greater scrutiny is required. So in summary, patents, copyrights and trademarks should have a limited lifetime. I think the original copyrights were just seven years, then they expanded to 14 and then out to 20 plus years. So uh, the longer we allow these particular intellectual properties to be protected with effective branding, they become ever more and more valuable. And from that, uh, from that, this balance is required. So perhaps this valuation of, of, intellectual property and having some sort of holding levy on the value of uh, these patents would encourage shorter timelines and as we've seen through this online commons this opening up of uh, big data uh, of people working around the clock on commons related projects just how much more productive they are compared to Uh, closed shop uh, privatized systems and if we really are going to deal with the problems coming hitting this planet right here right now we need to uh, uh, speed up uh, our ability to to leverage on the latest technology on uh, the latest uh, developments in thought and uh, the internet enables us to connect with so many more people but if uh, patents and the like are increasing in strength, then these impositions are working against us. I'll provide some links to uh, some great articles on this that go into it in a lot more detail than we can do on radio. Uh, But check out prosper.org.au for more. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Contact us via renegades at earthsharing.org.au. And thanks to those who are sharing this on Twitter, sharing it on Reddit and the like. Catch you next month.